down here in the bottom half of the hour for a change. Uh, we do this or try to do this on the fourth Sunday of the month so that uh, just to keep everybody on their toes, I suppose. Um, there's someone who said that there are two kinds of people. Those who divide the world into two kinds of people and those who don't. If you think about it, I suppose they're right. But at times, Jesus seems to be in the former group, as he does in the concluding passages in the Sermon on the Mount, where we have been for a good while now. This morning, we want to look at verses 13 through 20 of Matthew chapter 7. As we come toward the end of the sermon, I invite your attention with me there. And as we prepare to read the words of Jesus, which are the words of God, I invite you, if you're able to stand with me while I read these verses for us. Jesus says, beginning in verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree can't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Thank you. Please be seated. Now, Jesus uses a series of contrasts beginning in verse 13 and actually going all the way through the end of the sermon in verse 27. He talks about wide versus narrow gates, wide versus narrow roads, true leaders and false leaders, sheep and wolves, good trees and good fruit versus bad trees and bad fruit, and a couple of others that we'll look at over the next couple of weeks. Now, I preached on verses 13 and 14 last August, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time there today, but I do want to share with you a quick quote from Dallas Willard on verses 13 and 14. He says, the narrow gate is not, as so often assumed, doctrinal correctness. The narrow gate is obedience and the confidence in Jesus necessary to it. The broad gate, by contrast, is simply doing whatever I want to do, which is what most people do. And what Willard is pointing out is that Jesus must be not only our Savior, but also our Lord if we're going to find life, if we're going to experience what God intends for us. So all of these contrasts in these verses more or less distinguish between those who trust Jesus and obey what He's been teaching and those who don't. It distinguishes between the wisdom of obedience and the tragedy of disobedience. And Jesus makes clear that the stakes are high. 
as high as they can be. It's life and death, now and forever, for all eternity. It's very important that we obey what we are learning from our Lord Jesus if we want to live. Henry Blackaby wrote the Experiencing God curriculum that some of you are probably familiar with. And in his book, Hearing God's Voice, he talks about the very first funeral he ever conducted as a young minister. He says it was for a beautiful three-year-old girl. She was the first child born to a couple in our church and the first grandchild in their extended family. But unfortunately, she was spoiled. While visiting the little girl's home one day, I observed that she loved to ignore her parents' instructions. When they told her to come, she went. When they said sit down, she stood up. Her parents laughed, finding her behavior cute. But one day, their front gate was inadvertently left open, and the parents saw their child escaping out of the yard, heading toward the road. To their horror, a car was racing down the street. As she ran out between two parked cars, they both screamed at her to stop and turn back. She paused for a second, looked back at her parents, then gleefully laughed as she turned and ran directly into the path of the oncoming car. The parents rushed their little girl to the hospital, but it was too late. She died from her injuries. And Blackaby says, as a young pastor, this was a profound lesson for me. I realized I must teach God's people not only to recognize His voice, but also immediately to obey His voice when they hear it. It is life. And so, Jesus says, small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Because it requires obedience. Trusting Jesus and following his instructions. And I suppose it's not a surprise then that only a few choose to follow that path. But take note that it says only a few. Most go their own way. Most follow the path of destruction. I think that should be an encouragement to us, actually. Don't let yourself be discouraged when there is low participation or low attendance or low engagement because Jesus told us right here that many choose the easy way that leads to destruction because it's easy, because it's roomy, because it's wide, because it's accessible, because it conforms to our sinful nature. But few follow the disciplined path to life. So true disciples are always going to be a minority. Or to use biblical terminology, a remnant. As the scripture speaks of God's people. Even in the church, when times of testing come, as they have, fair weather followers frequently fall away. As we have seen in churches all over our nation. But God always preserves His obedient remnant. In fact, that's how you can tell who they are. That's how you can tell them apart, by the fruit their lives produce. Jesus begins in verse 15 with a warning. 
Watch out for false prophets. Don't be led astray. Stay on the straight and narrow, as it were. Don't let those false prophets lead you off of it. There are good leaders and there are misleaders who are deceivers. The compound word that's translated false prophets begins with the Greek uh, pseudo, something that you already know. It means not real, false, fake, pseudo prophets. They traffic in falsehoods and lies for their own selfish purposes. And they lead many people astray because they appear to be something they really aren't. They appear to be safe. They appear to be right. They appear to be sheep. But they aren't. Appearances can be deceiving. After a relaxing week-long vacation with their family in Florida, Robert and Angela Berry of Grove City, Ohio, left for the airport with their 10-year-old son to return home. But just before they left, a young girl staying at their hotel showed up at their room and gave a gift to their son, a teddy bear, to take with him. When they got to the airport in Orlando, they were going through the security checkpoints, as they do, and the teddy bear was screened right along with all of the rest of their luggage. And that's when the berries learned that appearances can be deceiving because the TSA screener noticed the outline of a gun inside the bear. And when they opened the bear up, they found there a loaded 22 caliber pistol that had been reported stolen in California seven years before. No one knows how it wound up hidden inside of a teddy bear. But that teddy bear was not as safe, not as harmless as it appeared. People also are not always as they appear. Jesus says, they will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Inwardly. That means in their hearts, in their motivations, in who they really are. They are ravenous, ferocious wolves. Rather than being sheep as they appear, they prey on the sheep. That's why they try to appear as sheep, so that the other sheep will trust them and become more more easy prey. Their harmless appearance masks a darker reality. You all remember the wolf in Little Red Riding Hood who went ahead of Little Red Riding Hood on the path to Grandma's house. And after dispatching with Grandma, dressed himself up as Grandma, got in Grandma's place in the bed waiting for Little Red Riding Hood, trying his best to look like that harmless, feeble, frail, grandmother when in fact all the while he was still a wolf trying to satisfy his carnivorous appetite. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, it's no wonder that false prophets disguise themselves as apostles of Christ because as he says Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. If you ever see Satan face to face, he's not going to be wearing a red suit with horns and a tail and carrying a pitchfork. 
quite the opposite, in fact. He'll be attractive. He'll be persuasive. He'll be saying the things you want to hear, doing his best to convince you that what he wants you to do is what God wants you to do. But what he wants you to do is serve him. And that is most definitely not what God wants you to do. But he'll sound very persuasive. It's all a masquerade. It's all a lie. It's all false. That's why Jesus says, watch out. It can be deceiving. Be careful. Don't be led astray, not by false prophets, not by any false leaders. Don't believe every rumor you hear. No matter how much you want to believe it's true, because believe it or not, most of them are false, and often egregiously so. Don't swallow the conspiracy theories, these crazy things that people are chasing these days because they want to think there's some kind of nefarious plot behind everything. You know, Abraham Lincoln was right when he said, you can fool some of the people all of the time. Don't believe it. Don't, don't be led astray. Compare the propaganda to the evidence because the evidence is the fruit of what's coming out, what's being revealed in their lives, in their words, in their actions. You all know that Vladimir Putin tells the Russian people that they're just doing a special military operation in Ukraine and they're only targeting military assets. And yet we know full well that they are bombing apartment buildings, schools, theaters, shopping malls, killing children and all kinds of other civilians indiscriminately. A wolf trying to look like a sheep, trying to convince these people he's doing something noble, something righteous, something praiseworthy, when in fact he's killing children. There are wolves everywhere trying to convince you that they're sheep. And sadly, of course, there are wolves among God's flock, among God's sheep. The Southern Baptist Convention has been too much in the news this year, not because revival has broken out or uh, there's a, an awakening taking place, no. Unfortunately, it's because of their recent mishandling of sexual abuse cases perpetrated by predatory pastors who are then allowed to move on to another, another church, another flock full of sheep that they can prey upon because the higher-ups want to sweep it under the rug and not take responsibility for it. It's shameful because not only are the victims of their abuse victimized, but the great multitude of, of shepherds who are trying their best to serve well, to protect the sheep, to serve the sheep, are having their reputations diminished. The, the, the doubt, the seeds of doubt are being sown in the world around us because they see these bad apples, these wolves that are preying upon the sheep. And it hurts all of us. Now, the Southern Baptist Convention is finally beginning to address the problem, and I thank God for it. They're taking responsibility. They're starting to do the right things. They're pulling the, the, the covers back to reveal the misdeeds of the past. 
But there are other wolves preying on God's sheep for other reasons, financial reasons, ego reasons, power reasons, political reasons. But Jesus said, feed my sheep, not fleece my sheep. I could name names. I suspect some of you could name names as well. If you're paying attention to the fruit that's being generated in their lives, Jesus says we can recognize them by their fruit. He says it twice. He says it in verse 16. He repeats himself again in verse 20, just four verses later. He switches metaphors from sheep and wolves to trees and fruit. A bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. Because the quality of the tree dictates the quality of the fruit. And the quality of the fruit reveals the quality of the tree at the same time. In other words, an evil heart produces evil works. A good heart produces good works. In Luke's gospel, in the parallel, after Jesus speaks of the trees and the fruit, Luke includes something else that Matthew doesn't. There, Jesus says, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Now, this is how my mama translated that. What's in the well comes up in the bucket. That's the rural Oklahoma way of saying what Jesus just did. What's in the heart comes out through the, through the lips. So, of those you listen to and are influenced by, is what comes out of their mouths reflective of the kind of fruit that the Bible praises like the fruit of the Spirit, for example. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Is it gracious? Is it loving? Is it respectful? Is it accurate? Is it true? Or is it angry, petulant, vindictive, disrespectful? False. People both inside and outside the church too often ignore the goodness or evil of a tree's fruit because they want to believe what they're hearing, whether it's true or not. They want to believe it. And so they do. It appeals to their own baser instincts and sinful nature, and they let themselves be led astray, away from the narrow path that leads to life, to take instead the broad path where everyone in their sinful nature wants to go, wants to be stirred up, wants to be outraged, wants to be angry over something or another. But that path leads to destruction. Jesus says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And that's not just the case with false prophets, but with anyone who persists in the deceitful, in evil, sinful works of darkness. Judgment will come, not at our hands, maybe not soon, but it will come at God's hands in God's time.
Jesus warns us about false prophets primarily for one reason. Not so that we can judge them and condemn them, but rather so that we might not be led astray from the way that leads to life. That's Jesus' concern. That's why he wants us to watch out for false prophets, so that we don't get sucked into it and misled by it and destroyed by it. So while you're recognizing the fruit that grows on the trees of those who would seek to lead you or instruct you or mentor you or guide you, recognize also the fruit that's being produced in your own life. What does your fruit say about your heart? And remember the words of Jesus found over in John's Gospel. Chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If anyone remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Someone once said, the fruit of the Spirit grows only in the garden of obedience. Would you pray with me? Father, we're grateful that your word speaks truth. Grateful that Jesus did not seek to deceive just so he could amass more followers in his social media. But Jesus spoke the truth even though that truth is not always easy to hear. Jesus did not sugarcoat it, did not seek to deceive, but laid out the path to life before us all. I pray, God, that we might have the courage, the determination, the wisdom to follow it. As Jesus said, may we be wise as serpents and innocent as doves as we live before and in the presence of a wicked, evil, lost, dying world. May we shine as lights in that darkness. May you be glorified in it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be